Father, thank you for your love and grace, and thank you for Julie being here. It means so much. Um, bless her and the kids tonight. Thank you for Lee and Edie. Keep them safe. And uh, Abba, Father, we love you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, chapter 56 is really fascinating to me. Just grabbed my heart as I was prepping because it discussed... It discusses these, these specific behaviors that if we would do those, there's really, really big rewards, all right? But what's interesting is that it comes on the heels, of course, of chapter 54 and chapter 55, which talk about, for example, chapter 55, the free offer of mercy. So in other words, you can receive mercy without cost. It's not like you work for it or earn it or do something to deserve God's forgiveness. So 55 starts out, hey, you there, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters that you may have, or you who have no money, come by and eat, come by wine and milk without money, without cost. So it's as though being restored to God is something that's based on grace and mercy. So it's beautiful, right? And chapter 55 is just rich. Okay, with grace. And then chapter 56, coming around on the heels of that, and he introduces the following. I'll, I'll just read it. It's 12 verses, really short. This is what the Lord says. Guard justice and do righteousness. For my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is a man who does this, and a son of man who takes hold of it, who keeps from profaning my Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will certainly separate me from his people, nor let the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant. To them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name which will not be eliminated. Also, the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to attend to his service and to love the name of the Lord, <clears throat> to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath so as not to profane it and holds firmly to my covenant, even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God, who gathers the dispersed of Israel, declares, I will yet gather others to them, to those already gathered. All you wild animals, all you animals in the forest, come to eat. His watchmen are blind. All of them know nothing. All of them are mute dogs, unable to bark. Dreamers lying down who love to sleep, love slumber. And the dogs are greedy. They are never satisfied. And they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each one to his unjust gain, without exception. Come, they say, let's get wine and let's drink heavily of intoxicating drink and tomorrow will be like today, only more so. Wow. To me, that is just a fascinating chapter. So let me walk through it with you and then I want you to, to join in on this. Um, this is what the Lord says. The Lord is Jehovah. Guard justice. Shamar mishpat in Hebrew. Shamar means protect. Uh, it, it means to guard. It means to keep. 
to make sure that it's safe. In mishpat, it's not justice like you and I think of justice. When I think of, uh, of justice, uh, it's a highly politicized concept now, almost identity politics. And, uh, you know, if you're in North Little Rock, when you've just come off of the, uh, uh, right before exit 107, it's the, what, the North Little Rock? Justice Center. Justice Center, you know, like, that's where real justice is going to be dispersed, you know, out of that office. And I go, no, <laughs> no, no. It is too political. There's so much identity politics in the land. There's favoritism that there's no way that there's true legal justice in the United States. There's just no way, no way. So that's a really political idea to me when I hear that word justice. But it's not the word mishpat. Is, it means justice. It means several things, but not what you and I think of today. Okay. It means something like this. The individual laws statutes, precepts of God's law that are designed to protect. That's what it means. Yeah. So, so getting at it, if God says um, one of the laws is if a man steals, steals a donkey from you, according to Mishpat, according to Justice, he's got to pay back the donkey plus four more, right? And hey, so glad that you guys are here. You were being such a baby. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't get off of that. Made it through the phone. <laughs> Stephen said, "You know, suffering is a part of life. Life, life is tragically." Well, we That's right. Yeah. So God is good. You're in the background <laughs> whining, so. <laughs> I went through a whole box of Kleenex, actually. Um, so we're digging it. We're just doing kind of the set apart for um, Isaiah 56. So uh, we're, we're, what we're doing, we're just focusing on what it says right out of the gate, their guard justice. It's interesting that Isaiah 54 is about grace and mercy and this merciful restoration. Isaiah 55, merciful restoration. And then 56, for those who are being restored, hey, a couple things. I really need you guys to get it together. Make sure that you guard justice. And what I was saying, Lee and Edie, is that justice is a really political idea in our, our world today. Super political. When you hear, you know, uh, people who are for social justice, well, you know, that's crazy. That's got an Antifa behind it somehow. You know, there's some, some political cause. But actually, in Hebrew, Shamar... Mishpat would be more like protect the rules, guard the rules that I have made that naturally protect people. In other words, God's law is not stupid. God's law is not senseless. It's not just ridiculous nitpicking rules to drive us batty. There's actually wisdom and protection in keeping God's law. That's what he means by justice. Um... And who do my righteousness. For my salvation is about to come. And my righteousness is about to be revealed. Blessed is a man or woman who does this. And a son or daughter who takes hold of it. And then he breaks out what justice and righteousness look like. Who makes sure that they don't profane the Sabbath. Halal Shabbat. Halal, to corrupt, pollute, uh, to show disrespect, to treat uh, disdainfully, to treat as common, to profane, and Shabbat in Hebrew means rest. It just means rest. Okay? Who keep from disrespecting rest, and the one who keeps his hand, her hand, from doing any evil, any wrong. Okay? So, Sabbath or Shabbat in Hebrew, that's how it's pronounced, is in verse 2, verse 4, and verse 6. Okay, There's an unusual, unusual emphasis. I just think it's interesting that 54, 55, 53, the suffering servant that allows the mercy to happen. Uh, for Israel coming back, 
the Great Restoration out of Babylon. And God says, guys, you've got to get this down. You've got to get Sabbath. Now, he doesn't talk about the, the other nine commandments. Uh, he just says Sabbath. You really got to get that one. Okay. And I think it's fascinating, and I want to develop that with you. Um, this is more about grace. Look at this. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will certainly separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Behold, I'm a dry tree, for this is what the Lord says. Okay. Why would, it, would a foreigner say, God's going to separate me? He's going to call me out of the herd. Why would a foreigner say that? Well, even the tabernacle had separate quarters for the Gentiles and the Jews. Yep. Like they weren't allowed to come into the main area. Yep. Yep. So that's, and that's law. I mean, that's heavy, heavy stuff. What happened with Ezra? Do you remember what happened to Ezra? And the national divorce event? Remember that? While Israel was in Babylon, Babylon captivity, the, the weak and the unwanted stayed in Jerusalem. They were charged to keep the bloodline and keep Torah while they're in exile. And what did they do? Intermarried with the Samaritans. With, with, with the, right, right. With all the, all the people groups right around them. Uh, their motive may have been pure. Hey, we got to survive. Whatever it is. But they broke the rules. And when Ezra come back, comes back, they reestablished Jerusalem. They rebuild the walls, all these things. What does Ezra do? Pushes for a national divorce event. And there's records of all these people getting divorced in the book of Ezra. Yeah. So there's, there's some historical basis for, for a foreigner saying, okay, am I allowed to come and drink freely from the water? Can I buy wine and milk without money? Sounds fantastic. But when the Lord shows up, is he going to call me from the herd because I'm not worthy? Makes sense. And Yehovah says, no, I will not separate the foreigner. I'm not going to call you out of the herd. I'm not going to engage a national divorce process against you because you're not a pure-blood Jew. And then, and then to the eunuch... Behold, I'm a dry tree. This is what the Lord says. Okay, just for a moment on for a eunuch. If you understand, it, not just Israeli, but all of ancient Mediterranean culture, how important is it to have sons? It's everything. It's everything. And behind that, and it's even in law in the Torah in Exodus 21, uh, it's why polygamy is endorsed in the law. That a man can have a second and third wife as long as he will take care of her, right? Why? Because it's some perverted American Hollywood thing? Nope. Survive. The, the mortality rate of women dying in childbirth, the mortality rate for, uh, mortality rate for babies being born was so high that in all, I think I remember during my research, um, there's about an 85% chance your son will not make it to age 15. That's how hard it was, that culture. Just really, really hard, you know. And a man may actually have several wives, or a woman may actually have several husbands because they keep dying off. It's just hard. And so, for a eunuch, a sterile man, he some malformation of some kind or an accident and he's emasculated through an injury of some some sort or he uh, 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 neuters himself castrates himself out of devotion to Yahweh which some men did uh, you're cutting off any hope of a bloodline of any kids not going to have any kids right and this is what Jehovah says to that guy that I'm going to give you my house and within my walls a memorial and a name that is better than a daddy who has sons and daughters. Can you imagine that? And what that would mean to the ears of a eunuch who had no bloodline. I'm going to give you something better. Um, I think all of us 
whether as, as sons and daughters or all of us as, as parents or those who hope to be parents. We want to be able to say, hey, can I, can I introduce my son to you? This is my son. Uh, he just finished medical school at Johns Hopkins, and we are so proud of him. <laughs> you want to be able to say that, right? Or this is my daughter, and she just got back from Cambridge. <coughs> she just got her PhD in something, and you know. Uh, this is my son. He just got a patent approved, and he is now going to be working for NASA inventing this particular part for spaceships. And hopefully we'll all we'll do interstellar travel because of my son. Yay! So proud of my kids. You know, we, we want bragging rights, okay? We do. If we could, if we could own it. Um, you don't want to say, uh, my kid, yeah, I got some kids, but I uh, kind of don't want to talk about them. <clears throat> yeah, we, we, don't, we don't talk about them. Hadn't seen them in 15 years, you know. Well, we don't want that. So can you imagine a eunuch saying, I'm going to give you something better than being a dad who's got a bunch of sons and daughters? How cool is that? And I'm going to give them an everlasting name which will not be eliminated. Also, the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to attend to service and to love the name of the Lord, Jehovah, that's beautiful, to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Shabbat, who keeps rest, so as to not profane it, and holds firmly to my covenant. He's going to do all these things. Even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Can you imagine seeing a house of prayer as something joyful as opposed to, oh boy, I got to go to prayer meeting tonight. It's going to be so boring. You know, <laughs> I don't know your experience, Julie, but Lisa and I went to Calvary Baptist Church when we were young, just youngins in Batesville. And Wednesday night prayer meeting, <laughs> they had a piece of paper and they had all the names of the sick and the afflicted, you know. And, and it was just, I don't know. There was no joy in it. There was no joy. We did it. It was honorable. You did it. You, we tried to do it for the right reasons. But the idea that going to a house of prayer and it being a joyful time, uh-uh. It was hard. We were teenagers, you know, put it on us. But it was a hard time. But Isaiah says, hey, I'm going to make them joyful in my house of prayer and their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. Now this should all sound very, very familiar to us. For my house would be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. All right, what do you, what do you notice right out of the gate on that one? My house should be called a house of prayer. Absolutely, right? It's in, that's in all three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All right, so, and by the way, all the Gospels, Paul loved to quote from Isaiah. Yeah. What do you notice about the last clause? For all the peoples. Is that curious to you? Foreigners. And then before that's when Jesus clears the temple, quoting that it's symbolic. He's clearing the temple also. And yeah. He's going to be the one who makes the way. Yeah. Yeah. Provision for so ways. it's a hint of the Great Commission. God never intended Israel to be an exclusive clique, closed group. He never intended Israel to be a closed group, a clique. That was never his intent. Uh, when we get to chapter 60, we're going to hear the language, Israel, arise, your light has come. You will be a light to the nations. The whole point of Israel is that their job is to give glory to God and literally reflect the gospel so that all the world would come to know Jesus and Israel would be a part of the great global mission effort. So that's what that's about. So, yeah. <clears throat> and then verse 8 the Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel declares, I will yet gather others to them who are already gathered. I'm, I'm going to include outsiders. It's not just about you, Israel. Now, 9 to 12 are really difficult, and it's really sad, okay? 
And I'm going to ask you, who's he talking about? All you wild animals. Is he talking about animals? No, he's talking about people. All you wild animals, all you animals in the forest come to eat. His watchmen are blind. All of them know nothing. All of them are mute dogs, unable to bark. They're dreamers. They lie down. They love to slumber. They'd rather sleep. And the dogs are greedy. They are never satisfied. And they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way. That should, you should remind, be reminded of something there. Each one to his own unjust gain, without exception. And they say, come, let's get wine, let's drink heavily of intoxicating drink, which tomorrow will be like today, only more so. Who is he talking about? Politicians and priests. <laughs> yes, yes. These are, the, these are the spiritual leaders of Israel that got him in the mess. Yeah. So when he says, all, all have turned to their own way, uh, we hear that, and you know, Paul grabs that in Romans 3 and applies it to everybody. We've all sinned and come, right? But originally, when he grabbed it out of Isaiah, he's talking about that's an indictment against priests. Yeah, against the spiritual leaders of Israel that they, that they function lawlessly. They're like wild animals. They can't handle a bridle. They're out of control. And those who are supposed to watch and protect Israel don't and so so Israel's vulnerable and they're just like dreamers in fact they're shepherds with no understanding um, you might you might look at Ezekiel 34 to get a really detailed blow up of all that stuff so <clears throat> okay question you ready this will be good why is there an emphasis on Sabbath Or more specifically, what is, what is the purpose of Sabbath? For rest. For rest, which literally means rest. Right out of the gate, we, we got that. Yep. It's, it's also, the Sabbath was also a statement of faith. We could work on that day. We're in the agrarian economy, you know. Always something to do on the farm. There's always something to do. Got to water livestock. And, there's always something to do, always something to take care of. So it, to, to take that day off is, is a statement of faith. That, you know, God, because God will do in six days what we feel like we need seven to do. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Julie? Trust, trusted him for, for provision. Yeah. 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 Okay. It, just, it wasn't just, it, it was rest, but it was a day to keep holy as well. Right. Right. That's so good. So a day that's pure. Yeah. Yep. To be holy. Okay. And where you're reflecting specifically on God, you're not just supposed to just let everything go blank. You're supposed to deepen your relationship with Him. Yeah, that is so good. That is so good. Anybody else on why did God say that? You know, if the if the mishpat, if the rules, the laws, the precepts are designed to bring order and to bring health and benefit and true justice to everyone, protect everyone, then what's the purpose of Sabbath? He did it, so I mean, if it's good enough for him, it should be good enough for us. Okay. Okay. Good. Really good. Very simplistic and uh, what's the word I'm for? Tangible things everyone could gather. See that again, Steve. So every like just from a very simplistic uh, point of view, it's. So that everyone has an opportunity to commute, commute, and be with one another, to care nobody for one has another. To Do I? Like nobody has to go to the gas station so that yeah. people can go. So there's really no excuse you can't make because it's law. Mm-hmm. You have to obey it, and so it forces you to commute and have time with one another, to reflect and do those things that, like what we do here on Sunday. I, I think of it as like as simple as like having breakfast in the morning, so that our our stomachs aren't so hungry that we're dying to get out of here as soon as we're done you gotta right. go, go eat it allows us to have the opportunity to not think about hunger and but allows us to focus on one another um, mm-hmm. yeah. mm-hmm. kind of like we used to way back when none of the stores were open or right. restaurants weren't open yeah. we just had to kind of get blue laws yeah. yeah exactly 
But ultimately, I think it's for our own good too. I mean, like he, if he put the other laws to help guide us and do, into doing the right thing, then so the, the Sabbath probably is too. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. Yeah. I wrote down some things. I'm not looking for one answer as though that could be the only answer. There's multiple right answers. But here are several options. We should observe Sabbath simply because God said so. Is that what Isaiah is intending? Number two. Sabbath is rest from work for the purpose of prayer. Is that what Isaiah is saying we've got to do? Three, is Sabbath day, Shabbat, kind of like a weekly Father's Day? <laughs> you know, it's Father's Day, and we're just going to make it all about Dad. It's just we're going to admire and love and worship Dad. It's, it's Shabbat, it's Father's Day. Is that what Isaiah is talking about? Four, <clears throat> Is it an intentional repudiation of greed? And Lee, you hinted at that earlier. This compelling drive to work nonstop and to accomplish more and more and more to get more things, bringing bigger crops, bigger crops, more cattle, more cattle. So is it a, a reminder that we've got to put the brakes on our greed and our desire to be productive? We've got to stop. Okay. So it's like a prophylaxis or it's like a protective thing against greed. Or number five, Julie, you mentioned it. It's just physical healing. We just need to stop. Uh, when I was uh, under the guidance of uh, Dr. Travis Harvey back in 20, 2010, 2012, when I was working out a lot, Travis always made me do what he called a deload week like five weeks intense pushing and then on that next week he wanted me to cut all the weight by half and all the reps by half that's what he wanted me to do and that whole week was to heal heal joints heal muscle rest the body still be active but none of that and then after that though back on the heavy weights and back and hitting it real hard for the next full uh, four or five week cycle Makes sense. So that's the idea. Rest is healthy. It's good. It's good. Um, next, Edie, you mentioned it. Uh, Shabbat is for reflection and meditation. We're going to think about God and reflect and be grateful for Him. Stephen mentioned, we're just going to follow His example. God rested and we rest and number seven, or, or number eight, resting on Sabbath, on Shabbat, is really about resting in the finished work of God. That's kind of the bigger framework behind this thing. God works six days at a level of brilliance that we will never understand. And if you're a God follower, you enter into what he accomplished. It would almost be like, let's illustrate this with Dale and Jen. Let's say Dale, um, Dale marries Jen and he wants to bless her. And so he builds for her a house. And he works for the longest time and it's, it's, it's her dream kitchen and her special cabinetry and all the things that would make this house really, really special for Jen. And then when it's over, no more construction, he wants Jen to move into the house, right? Enter into what I've accomplished for you. I've done something phenomenal. <clears throat> I created the heavens and the earth. I want you to enter into that. And I want you to commune with me. Let's walk together. So of these, which, which ones do you think Isaiah has in view, possibly? And there's others we could, we could go on. It's just a rule, obey it. Shut up and obey it. <laughs> Don't ask questions, obey. Is it that? Is it number two? 
uh, it's really time to set aside for prayer. Number three, it's just Father's Day. Number four, it's designed to rein us in and repudiate greed. We're going to put the brakes on production. It's physical rest. It's healing. We've got to stop. Okay. Reflection, meditation. We're just literally following God's example. He rested. We need to do it too. We're not stronger than God. Or lastly, uh, God wants us to enter into his finished work, what he accomplished for us. That one re- really resonates with my heart. The others do too, but that one because we know that God wasn't tired. Exactly. You know, he wasn't tired, and yet he He modeled for us. I, you know, I, mean, I don't know, but if I, can, I can imagine God just sitting back and soaking in yeah. everything that he had done, knowing that he'd done it for us. Remember in Genesis it says uh, Adam and Eve were there and God would come to walk in the cool of the morning. Can you imagine? Holding hands with God, talking about the flowers, the, and the beautiful, the flora and the fauna in the garden, and you're just walking with God in the cool of the morning. And you're glowing, literally reflecting his glory. How cool is that? Isn't that beautiful? Okay, everybody turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Now before I read, let me set the scene. One of the things you focus on when you're in Bible college or in seminary is something called hermeneutics. And hermeneutics, simply put, is the science, the discipline, the work of interpreting Scripture well. Just interpreting it well. For example, if you read, if you're going to play Russian roulette with Scripture... And you go, Lord, speak to me, Lord. Uh, Judas went outside and hung himself. Oh, man. <laughs> now you got to go commit suicide? Is that a good hermeneutic? No. You know? Or you, you get the idea. All right. So you can't play Russian roulette with Scripture and expect to hear from God. So one of the things you do to understand how we interpret Scripture is to ask, how did they interpret it? You know? That's kind of cool. For example, if we chatted with Isaiah, if we, could, if we could call, hey, Isaiah, we're studying your letter. What were you trying to say about Sabbath in 56? Isaiah would say, oh, well, I was trying to, uh, you know. Oh, thanks, Isaiah. Sorry to interrupt, you know. But we can't do that. But what we can do is we can turn to the book of Hebrews and go, how did they see it? Because whoever wrote Hebrews, by the way, is brilliant. That is some of the best Greek in all the New Testament, by the way. Some of the finest writing in the New Testament is the (coughs) Hebrews. It's amazing, right? And this guy knows the law. We're not sure who he was. There's lots of theories. It's an unnamed letter. But man, does this guy know Judaism. He knows it inside and out. Look what he says about Shabbat. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore... We must fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also did, but the word they heard did not benefit them because they were not united with those who listened with faith. For we who have believed enter that rest. Just as, it, as he said, as I swore in my anger, they certainly shall not enter my rest. That, uh, Dale, is a reference to Israel during the wanderings. And for 40 years, God let them die off. They were not going to enter the rest of the promised land. Yeah. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, For he has said something concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, they certainly shall not enter my rest, 
Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who previously had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again sets a certain day, today, saying through David, after so long a time as as uh, has uh, been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day and, and after that, consequently, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. So let's make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following the same example of disobedience. So... If you ask what the writer of Hebrews, what he thought about the command to keep Sabbath. What's that? Because I said so. No. It's entering the finished work of Jesus by faith. What gets you into the kingdom? Is it keeping the rules? There's no way. Not by works. And so it's faith. The reason why they didn't enter is because they didn't hear it by faith. That's why they didn't enter into the rest. So the big, big theological picture, as I'm reading both the Old and New Testament, is that when you observe Shabbat, you're entering into Jesus. He's the house we enter into. That God, what God accomplished through his son that we are saved by faith and grace, not by works. There's no way. Which when Jesus announced that it's finished, just even means that much more. It, it's done. The house, this, and that's what I shared this morning, the end of the law. When I sent out the text, scripture text this morning. So Now is it true that, that Shabbat is good for us because we just need to stop? Yep, we need to stop. We need to rest. Uh, is it also true that, yeah, it's a command, sorry. <laughs> you know, it is what it is. God, God said it, you've got to submit to it. We're not going to outsmart God on that one, sure. So it's kind of, in a way, it's like a lot of these things combined. But the big, big picture is that true rest is found in entering into the finished work of God through Jesus. It's a foreshadowing of the sacrificial lamb of Isaiah 53. So, all right. So, you're the body of Christ, Isaiah 56. What are some other insights you have that we can pull into our world today to live, to live out? Well, I don't know the scripture reference, but I, I keep thinking of the scripture where Jesus said, all you who are heavy burdened, Matthew 11. My burden is light. That's it, Matthew eleven twenty eight to 32. Isn't that beautiful? That's so good. And by the way, Julie, what's amazing about Matthew 11 is it really, the paragraph starts in verse 25, and he talks about who is God going to reveal this insight to? Who's God, who's God going to give this rest to? And guess what it says? To children, to childlike people who are broken and humble, but to the temple elite, uh-uh. Uh-uh. So it's like he's saying, Dad's home. You kids that are weary and worn out, come home. You'll find rest. You'll find safety. And, and it's not about the rules. It's about entering into his son because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. And he reveals that to babes, not to temple aristocracy, the Sadducees or the Pharisees. So thank you, Julie. That is beautiful. What else about about this? See, uh, or when I read the first part of it about maintaining justice to do what is right, and then towards the end, uh, the idea of God accepting everyone who fears Him and obeys His laws makes me think of Acts, in, uh, where Peter visited Cornelius's house, and he told him, you know, ordinarily it is.
this would be against the law. He said, but God does not show favoritism. And he says exactly, he says, uh, you know, God accepts all those who <coughs> do what is right and fear him. So I just see parallels with, if you fast forward into the New Testament with that. Oh, yeah. That is so good, Dale. Absolutely. Especially that my house is a house of prayer for all peoples. Yeah. Julie, I said 32. I meant to say 30. I, Matthew eleven twenty-five to 30. That's so good. Anybody else on how Isaiah 56 uh, applies to us today? Devouring, destroying, abusing. The Lord, the Lord is gathering and, and, and blessing those that, that, that um, have joined themselves to the Lord, even if they're foreigners. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you get a chance, read Ezekiel 34. It'll light you up. Full description of what the priests are doing. Lee, I'm encouraged about the foreigner that he won't be he won't be cold. Cause I'm the foreigner, right? I'm not a Jew. I'm the outsider. Yeah, I'm the new Israel now. Yeah, by blood, you know, I'm I'm not in by blood, but it's by faith. There you go. I'm entering into the finished work of Jesus. He makes me the new Israel, and I don't. Have, it's like it's secure. My relationship with him is secure. I'm I'm encouraged by that. Anybody else on how we could live this out today?
we see too, and starting out, it's, it's an admonition um, to the people for not speaking out against the transgressions and not calling sin, sin. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I say, it's just culture, we're pretty guilty of that. Yeah, yeah, we're afraid. Yeah, you know, we, we, you know a lot of it might shame me. Yeah, whatever, yeah. you know, so. Right. That's true in the church, too. Yeah. Though. We yeah. tolerate a lot of things in the church that I don't know why. I could, we're afraid yeah. that somebody's going to get We just have this thing about people getting offended. We've created yeah. a culture of you don't want to offend anybody. And, uh, it's all about feelings. And Satan, and Satan really <coughs> uses that to oh, yeah. keep us from truly loving people. It's not very loving to watch anybody, but especially a brother or sister in Christ, step over the cliff and fall into the abyss. If you could have jerked them back, and maybe they got offended, and their little, you know, their feelings got hurt for a little bit. Yeah. But they're still alive, and they have opportunity to kind of take a deep breath and think about, okay, you know, where do I want the rest of my life to go? Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. But this 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 thing with the leaders here, I just see such. I mean, it's happening in the church. Absolutely. I think more and more it's getting harder and harder to find a church that really teaches scripture and Mm -hmm. and you know, and that's that's their primary purpose is to teach scripture to grow disciples and to Mm -hmm. you know rather than grow numbers and. Right, right. So Edie, in a way, one of the kind of the hermeneutical insights we get when you interpret Isaiah 56, look at this. Um, Look at 5611. These dogs, and of course that's a metaphor for the political religious leaders of Israel. So the leaders of Israel are greedy and they're never satisfied. So, in a way, Lee, the opposite of that is Sabbath. It's a repudiation of greed. Stop it. Stop the work. Stop the control. Stop. So, controls versus chaos. Wild animals, no bridle, uncontrolled. Greed out of control. As opposed to structure, boundary, limit. Uh, The mishpat the lane to run in. So, so Sabbath uh, accomplishes many things. Let's, um, let's prepare for the Lord's Supper. So Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11, if you want to turn there. Hebrews nine eleven. <clears throat> this is about entering into the rest. So verse 11, that when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things, by the way, a righteous high priestly, right? When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things having come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made by hands, that is, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all time, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant that we enter into and have rest. So that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the violations that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal uh, inheritance. The eternal inheritance. Isn't that beautiful? It's through the blood of Jesus that we have, we have rest.
we have entered into a safe and eternal covenant with God through Jesus with a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. It's a gift of grace. So Paul tells the church at Corinth who struggled with greed and the upper class typically brought very large portions of food. Uh, If they were very wealthy, they brought meat. That was a real privilege to have meat. And they had the habit, a chaotic meal with the rich who literally felt they deserved the best food and the best portions, would gobble it up. And since they brought, typically, most of the wine, they would drink a lot of wine, even to the point of being drunk. Can you imagine? (laughs) A church service where people are getting drunk. And then the poor, the very low strata, coming late and what's left over are pickings and there's not much wine but but it's a pretty decent home so so the host typically the woman uh she was decent enough to set some bread and some wine aside to make sure the poor who came late would have something for the lord's supper you know and boy paul finds out about that and oh boy he is not happy and so he offers so many correctives. It's really fascinating to read, to read all of 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. It's amazing. So, so he summarizes and he says, he says, look, the tradition that I received, I am passing on to you. He's probably remembering when he first entered in Jerusalem after being converted on the Damascus Road. And he enters into fellowship with Peter. And the apostles, and they let him in. Can you imagine letting the scary guy in your home? And that's where he learned from them about the Eucharist. What I received, I'm passing on to you. That's what Peter taught me. This is what John and the guys said. This is what James said. That the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, giving thanks. To the Father, typical Jewish prayer, to break it, eyes open, eyes up, breaking the loaf and giving thanks for it. That's, that's what he would do. And then he passed it out. Take, eat, all of it. And then like manner after the meal, so there's a long pause for eating and talking and listening to teaching. He, he takes the cup. And the assumption is he gives thanks for it too, holding the cup up, Father, we give thanks. And he says, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is for you. Take and drink from it, all of you. And he passes the cup around. And then Paul summarizes, for as long as we do that, the eating of the bread and the drinking of the cup, that we are saying we have entered into the rest of the grace story that we're made acceptable to God, not by works, but by faith in Jesus. And that's our rest. That's the yoke that's easy. That's the burden that's light. And it's beautiful. Abba Father, thank you for the bread and the cup. We ask right now that we take this in remembrance of what your son has done for us and what you accomplished in us through your son. In his name, amen.